What's up, everybody? Welcome to yet another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm your co-host, Scott Lees, here along with my good friend and partner in crime, Richard Harris. And we are brought to you today and for the rest of December by our good friends at Gong, at Vidyard, and at Lead411. There's still time to check them out and evaluate them this year and help you get off to a strong start in 2021. So check out those companies and those products, Gong, Vidyard, and Lead411. And we are joined by my new and good friend who's been helping us out at Thursday Night Sales, Nina Butler, Director of Demand Generation over at Alice. Welcome to the show, Nina. Thank you both for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming. We're, we're excited to talk to you about sales and marketing and demand gen and all that kind of stuff. But just for context, can you tell everybody what Alice is, what, what you solve for, and, and what that sales motion is kind of like? Yeah, happily. Um, so I have the privilege and good fortune of working for one of the better companies in B2B SaaS. Um, so Alice is a personal experience platform. And we enable enterprise sellers and marketers to create personal bonds with anybody that they want to do business with through one-to-one -one gifting. And our, our motto at Alice is always be personal. That's our tagline. And, and I really feel like B2B selling and marketing has over-rotated to this state where everything is really impersonal now. And it's really generic and really automated and over-personalized. And we're really losing sight of the person at the end of the day. And so our technology allows you to regain some of that emotional resonance with your audience by way of hyper-personal gifts. What is over-personalized? Right. Like I've heard persona eyes, right. Where we assume, Hey, VP of sales, you know, um, insert Nina. Um, but what is, so what does that mean? So the way I think about um, personalization is personalization allows you to be really relevant with your audience. It, like every tool out there can help you enrich the data to really distill somebody down to a series of data points. So that way your messaging can appeal to them on a functional level. So you know how to speak to somebody based on their role, their title, their level of seniority. It allows you to understand um, revenue bands and, and the challenges of the industry that you're trying to sell into. And so when I say over-personalization, I mean you over-index on the relevancy to somebody, but there's not much substance beyond that. And the person could be looking to the left of them and to the right of them. All three people could receive the exact same messaging and there's really no nuance. There's no sense of personal behind those messages. They're just overly personalized to that role. Do boundaries come into play? at all in over-personalization? I mean, I'm, I can't think of a good off-the-cuff like example here, but you know, some people have, have clear walls between their personal life and professional life. I don't, yep. have, I don't have very many, so I don't know how, how, this, would, <laughs> <laughs> how this would affect no. me. Other people, other people do. I mean, it's a good, we, I get this question all the time, you know, is, is gifting somebody something that's really personal to them as an individual, is that creepy? Can that be 
misconstrued. And the way that I think about leveraging personal insights, and when I say personal insights, I mean like what makes Scott Lease Lease? Like there is no other Scott Lease for a variety of reasons, <laughs> but it's what are your motivators? What are those personal interests, right? There are a lot of things that you can learn from people based on their online footprints, but how do you use that intel in a way that's advantageous to having a relatable relationship and I'll tell you an example, Scott. You take your kids to soccer practice, right? Yes, I know that yes. about you. Mm -hmm. If I were to know the field, the time, the name of the coach, and I used that to my own personal advantage to, to wedge myself into your inbox, that's not helpful for our relationship. Instead, though, I could take that personal insight and I could say, hey, Scott, you know, my nephew just got into soccer. Do you have any recommendations on, I don't know, videos he should watch or, or places he should shop to get the best gear, right? That is the perfect level of intimacy that I'd want to have with somebody if I were trying to cultivate kind of a one-to-one -one relationship. And so That's it's such a good example. That was like professionally done right there. <laughs> Scott, I... I know you as well. I think you'd respond to that. I think I think that would earn the right for someone to you to respond to them, and then they might turn around and ask you for a meeting. Would it work? Or are you still too jaded? No, no, no. That that message that Nina just crafted in her head on the fly right there, I would respond to that for sure, for sure, hundred percent. Would it get Would it get me in a meeting if I was actually in a position where I was trying to purchase tools for a team and that kind of thing? Yeah. That was, you know, for sure. Especially if there was some follow-up and, and whatnot. I mm -hmm. doubt that she would immediately after I reply say, cool, can I have a meeting now? I don't think that that's what she's getting at. Um, Agreed. So, but Nina, what if you can't figure that out? Like to, to you know, some people are, they silo themselves, right? How do you totally. then try to take that approach? Yeah, I mean, I think we you know, I'm in, I'm in the part of the market where I have the luxury of, of marketing to, to salespeople and marketers who in turn are very so active on social and, you know, very opinionated and forthcoming with their interests. But there are other industries where people are more locked down. And in those specific scenarios, you can look for things that are still relatable to that person. And maybe it's like, you notice on LinkedIn, they sit on the board of directors for a local nonprofit, right? Maybe you want to send them a charitable donation to that cause in their name, right? It doesn't have to be as, as um, you know, specific as I know Scott takes his kid to soccer practices and is really invested in that, right? There are still things I'm sure in Scott's life that aren't as deep, but are still really meaningful to him as an individual. And that's what you kind of have to train your, your sellers to look for online. Not everybody will be an open book, but I guarantee that People are passionate about things. And if you look hard enough, you can find those. And some people are doing this quite well. I mean, I had a couple of people <clears throat> send me messages that started off with, I just made a $10 donation to the Surfrider Foundation. And another one was like, I just made a $20 donation to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. I'm like, oh, that is guaranteed. I'm going to respond to you. 100% mm -hmm. response rate. Um, so people are, are picking up on it. And, and doing it, you know, quite well. Here's a question that, that I have for you. And you may, your team maybe gets this quite a bit, but um, how do you scale corporate gifting? I'm the sales rep. I have this universe of prospects that I'm supposed to sell to. How do I do that fast enough? How do I get to the right level of intimacy or familiarity with my accounts 
that I can do more than send like, you know, one bottle of tequila out a day, right? Yeah. Like, how do you do it at scale and with speed? Well, you use Alice, <laughs> but there's, there's, a, there's a unique component to our platform and our approach that helps with that scalability that helps you scale being personal and delivering a seemingly one-to-one experience. And our technology can actually uncover in a matter of moments what people's, we call them five to nine passions, like what makes them them outside of their nine to five roles and responsibilities. And we'll let you know based on their social presence, what they like, what their personal motivations are, um, the causes and interests that they align to. And then we'll recommend a really tailored gift to send that person that that um, aligns with that interest. And so at the click of a button, I can see, Scott, that you are a part of, you have a Surf and Sales podcast. Okay, that's one um, context clue I can use, right? I, in our first interaction, Alice actually recommended I send you a surf towel. Um, and so I sent that your way. And of course, you had the ability to exchange it for a different item you'd prefer, but you you realize, hey, it sounds like Nina's taken a time to understand who I am when in actuality, I had a piece of technology, you know, shortcutting that process for me. But then from what it says to send me, can you how fast could you pull it up live on the spot and see what it says? I couldn't pull it up live on the spot because I'd have to put you in, put it in the platform. But I promise you after this podcast, Richard, and maybe it's in the footnotes, you can put what Alice found out about you. I don't, I'm not asking you to to send me a gift. I'm just curious of like, like to me, I think that's part of the cool thing, right? Like I, you know, I think, um, you know, Crystal Knows is a very similar type thing and you sort Mm -hmm. of go upload your profile and you're like, wait a minute. I'm not that much of an asshole, am I? Um, or you're like, I am. <laughs> yeah. Or I go, Scott, is this right? So okay, um, let me let me let me play devil's advocate for one more second on this topic, and then I'll let Richard kind of pivot us out of this. Do we not though run the risk now of of being inauthentic, right? Because it's actually not that Nina knows me; it's that the technology told her to get me the surf towel. And if that's done a hundred times a day towards me as a, as a recipient mm-hmm. or whatever, at some point, do I become so jaded? I'm like, oh, nobody knows me. It's just the fucking robot sending me stuff all day long. Does, do we run the risk of that? How, do, how are we thinking about that from the platform as it evolves? Yeah. I mean, I think if you, if you let the experience stop at the gift send, you do run the risk of that. If you don't have any contextual follow through and follow up that continues to relate back to what I I know that, you know, Scott cares about as an individual, then I'm shooting those efforts in the foot. I'm wasting those dollars on a gift if I don't have a thoughtful follow up strategy that complements that initial introduction that I made. And I think that the way people follow up, whether it be across different channels and different mediums. And it doesn't, to your point, Scott, it doesn't always have to be um, a sales tactic. It can just genuinely be like, hey, Scott, did you see, I don't really know surfers, but like, did you see somebody just made the top 10 of World Surfers Pro? Like, check out this video, right? Like, that's another way to remind you who I am, remind you that I'd love to start a relationship with you. And it's something that speaks to you as an individual. And I don't think that we run the risk in the immediate future of, of, being oversaturated with that because people aren't doing it at all today, to be honest. So um, I have one more question along, along these lines and then I, wanna, I do wanna pivot us out of here. Um, what are, oh shit, I forgot my question. There you go. It's gonna tell you that I'm forgetful and I need you to send me some sort of 
herbal medicine. A journal, a five-minute journal. Yeah. Um, well, let me pivot us out of here. Richard's connection. What's your definition of a difference? Richard's connection's cutting out a little bit. Nina, what, what he was asking was, can you talk about the difference between demand generation and lead generation? What's the difference between the two? Uh, yeah, so it's a really good question. Uh, lead generation is, it's almost, um, it's not considering quality, right? It's a volume game. It's how can I pump marketable people into my database so then my demand generation team can go out and create programs to help drive more engagement with those leads and then like fingers crossed they MQL and I can give them to sales. Demand generation, at least at Allison, like my own personal philosophy is I could care less about a lead. Um, I, I honestly, we don't even use the lead object in Salesforce. Like, I don't know what it does <laughs> because we care about people and we care about accounts. And as a demand gen marketer, my charter is to create as compelling of experiences as possible for the narrow segment of the market that I know Alice is a great fit for and do it to the extent where I can say, hey, sales, this account and the people at this account, you have the greatest likelihood of getting a response and taking the next step on a one-to-one -one level with those folks. Like point blank period, if I'm able to accomplish that, then demand generation is a success at Alice and I myself as a professional am, am fulfilled. How do, you, how do you work through the, hey, if sales is working on these people and marketing's working on these people that people aren't getting bombarded, right? Yeah. Like you know, it feels like a 19, you know, it feels like a 2005 problem, but we still face it in 2020. There's like, for me as a buyer, I buy, I buy marketing technology pretty often. Um, there's nothing worse than developing like a, a true one-to-one -one relationship with somebody, like almost being on a texting basis with a seller. And then I get some like weird canned marketing email. And I'm like, dude, what? Like you've completely disregarded me as a person. You've actually discredited a lot of work that your seller has done to make me feel an emotional connection to that brand and to that product. And so I think it all starts with being completely aligned and having full visibility into what that end-to-end -end customer journey looks like as they, like your customer journey is just a series of moments and people weave in and out of your, your circle of influence, whether it be like a marketing-led moment or a sales-led moment or a CS or an account management-led moment. And if you don't have a good understanding of the sequencing of that journey, then you're never gonna be able to provide continuity within that experience. Um, and so that's where it stems with, like having, having good understanding of what your, your ideal journey is and then having data or a way to understand where is that person in their journey so you can turn on and off your marketing campaigns and your nurtures and your ads and everything at your disposal as a demand gen marketer to make sure it's reflective of where that person is in your company's journey. Um, I want to know about how you're evaluated. Right, because yeah. it's interesting for you to say, you know, you don't care about leads and like, what is the object in Salesforce? Like, I don't, I don't even know what it is. Like, yeah. let's say, let's say that I'm, <clears throat> you know, uh, new new CEO building a you know tech company, early stage startup. How do I evaluate the performance of my my demand gen team or my head of demand gen? Like, what's the what's the metric 
Mm-hmm. And then the back end of that question would be advice for demand gen folks. Like what metric do you refuse to sign up for? What do you, which <laughs> one are you like, oh, hell no, I am not accountable for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, like personally speaking, I'm evaluated and compensated on pipeline and that's how it should be. Right. Like I could pipeline, send pipeline growth size of the yep. pipeline. Yep. Monetized not opportunities. Not whether or not it closes at all. So opportunity creation, um, we, we call them SQAs, they're dollarized opportunities, but that's my goal. And it doesn't matter if I send out the coolest email that gets a 60% open rate. If that doesn't help influence an opportunity, who cares? I don't care. I shouldn't care, right? I shouldn't spend my time obsessing about that. Instead, I should understand what's the ideal journey to get somebody to an all dollarized opportunity as efficiently as possible. So that's like number one. Number two, I do obsess over closed one. I'm not evaluated on that, but like demand generation follows customer from prospect to acquisition to growth and expansion. And like we support that entire experience for for Alice, which I think is unique. Um, We're we're a small team, so it's just myself, but I think as, as businesses get larger, sometimes there's segmentation on who's responsible for what part of that journey. Um, but then the third, like to say, like, actually, what, how do we measure marketing's impact beyond pipeline and beyond close one um, is we look at marketing qualified accounts. So like I refuse to sign up for an org that um, evaluates marketing's impact on the MQL. Like I won't do it. <laughs> I absolutely won't do it. Alice has never been about that. So I'm so glad I found my good home there. Um, but marketing qualified accounts take into consideration um, everything like an MQL or a lead score does, which is like pharmographic, technographic information, but there's this variable of intent, which I do think is the missing piece in the MQL calculation, which is why I don't think MQLs are a great way to justify marketing's impact on the org or to have like an SLA with them with sales. Because intent is really like who's in market and is demonstrating propensity to not just buy software, but to buy your software. And that's a really important line of sight that I need to have as a demand gen marketer, because I need to prioritize my campaigns and my spend against audiences that I know are in market ready to be hearing from us. And so that's that's how we've structured our, our funnel. And that's how I structure myself and my goal setting and how I make sure that the campaigns and programs I put together are actually making a meaningful impact on the business. Cool. I want to I want to keep going down this path of the of the revenue side and mm-hmm. marketing, right? Can a demand gen person? Do you know demand gen people who've made it to the CMO role or even a CRO role? Um, and what are the advantages or disadvantages there? Yeah, I I definitely know some. I think that demand generation is usually one of the more logical entry points if you have aspirations to get to a head of marketing or a CMO or a CRO role. And the reason for that being, and I think it depends upon how um, demand gen is set up in an org, but you you are your own business owner, right? Like you manage your own P&L, you understand what goes in and what comes out, and you actually have to develop the muscles of a CMO and the muscles of a CRO in order to do your job really well. What are those um, and, muscles in your mind? What What are those muscles that you think about? Yeah, I mean the the two biggest. If I have to boil it down to two, it's it's creativity and analytics. Like that that is what marketing is. It's like scientific arts right. and crafts. Go, go deeper. <laughs> Give me an example of creativity and another one on analytics. 
Yeah. So, I mean, creativity is, do you have the mental capacity or do you know where to seek inspiration to come up with compelling experiences that resonate with your audience? Um, if you're, if you're just watching what everyone else is doing and you're like, let's just do it like this and put our logo on it. Like that's not good enough. Our digital channels are too saturated today. You need to be differentiated in how you bring your brand to life, especially in an online application. And so if you don't have like the mental mental capacity to get there, I think you're at a significant disadvantage. I also think like from, from an analytical standpoint, like you need to know your business metrics. You need to know what the inputs and the outputs of your business are. You need to understand what those key health indicators look like, and you need to understand how it all works together, right? If you, if you mess with a conversion here, well, what's the downstream impact? You need to have a really good understanding about all the variables that go into a healthy business in order to be, have a seat at that table. I think that kind of commands people's respect and attention. I feel, I feel like I'm on an episode of Shark Tank and Nina's not giving me any money because she, I don't know my numbers and I'm not creative enough. <laughs> like, you know, I, I feel like- I'm, I feel like you know, I'm on Shark Tank. You're not gonna give me the money. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on a, you know, going down this line too, you know, we talked to a lot of people and, you know, the CRO, the revenue ops, the rev team is really, I mean, it's going to be the 2021 topic, I think, for those who go into hyper growth, right? Mm -hmm. um, VP of sales, VP of marketing, VP customer success, who do you think gets it? Oh boy, here we go. Whoa. Now I really of, do feel of, like I'm in a shark tank. A lot of chatter around this uh, recently. Everybody, everybody wants a, everybody wants a shot at the title all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think you can generalize people into those buckets, right? Like who's, who's to say a VP of marketing is more qualified or has more applicable experience to lead a revenue team than, than a head of sales? Pardon? Pardon? That's who says it. He said marketing people. That's who says it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it's completely subjective. It's, it's, in the, it's in the eye of the three individual candidates who are gunning for it. But I do you, think you that- would, the, you, would fall, you would fall into the camp then that the uh, department you come out of is irrelevant to who, who deserves the role. And it's more about the individual and their skill sets and knowledge base. I do. And I don't, I don't say that as like a cop-out or to be PC, but I say that because I really do think it's dependent upon the individual and their ability to lead a revenue team within the business that they're looking for that opportunity. So I don't, what, are, what are your opinions? Richard, you go first. Hopefully I don't, my internet didn't cut out. Uh, I do tend to skew towards sales, but the thing that I, would need it if I were that is I do need that deeper analytics. Like I think the one thing marketing is always five years ahead of sales on is analytics, right? You've been doing it a whole lot longer. And part of it is we didn't necessarily have the tools, right? They're, our, also, our they're also smarter than we are. So there's that. Right? So there, you know, the data we had was make a hundred fucking dials, right? We couldn't even track yeah. that, you know, yep. um, you know, and, and then, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful thing when you could get an open rate, on your emails, right? You guys are like, that's nothing, right? Um, and then, but then marketing tried to over eloqua sales with all this stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, the birth of the real sales engagement came out of it. So, so yeah. I lean towards sales because I need a revenue push. I've talked to a couple of customers where they put customer success in charge and 
right now, and the two people, three people I've spoken to, those people were a little too passive. They're on the, which is customer success, right? Like they're not there to push, they're there to absorb and solve in a different way, which is not wrong. Like that's what you want in customer success. So I don't lean a ton towards customer success, um, but I, that's where I'm at. It's a long answer. So, but it's not about Richard, it's about Nina. Now that we gave you time to think about it. It's about us. <laughs> right. <laughs> that answer right there is the difference between a marketing leader and a sales <laughs> leader. <laughs> Naturally, Richard's like, it's not about Richard. Nina's like, it's about us. There's, there's a good description of, of the two different roles. What do you guys have? Do you have a CRO? Uh, we uh, do not have a CRO currently, um, but we have a head of marketing, a head of customer success, and a head of sales. Who solves the battles? Who, who, who jumps into referee? Referee what? <laughs> Joe, come on. Oh, yes. No. Alice, is, Alice is squeaky clean. There's never uh, any challenges. No, right? I'm not. You hear, you hear I say referee what? Because, you know, we got, we got lots of areas to improve. So I want to know uh, which, which battle I'm thinking about. Just general, just general sales, marketing, customer success friction. Right. And you can, and like, and if you've got one, like, Hey, here's one that we see and here's how we solved it. I think that'd be helpful. Cause I think people like to hear that. Um, you know. I think uh, I'm lucky to share like the director level with some other really bright people on the CS and sales side. And so to the best of our ability, we actually try to unblock things for ourselves and our own teams. It's only when things kind of um, reach a critical mass in which our head of marketing and head of CS and head of sales problem solved together. But I can say without a doubt, like it's never one person who's like, just bringing this up again, right? Like every single person is responsible for the health of the business. And if, and everybody has a different vantage point, if they're seeing things from their purview, that might not be as obvious to the two others, like it's their responsibility to bring it up. And it's their responsibility to then bring in the director team to think about how, like, what are potential solutions here and then go and mobilize and do. How did you guys build that culture? Cause that's really strong. We had a woman yeah. on here a few months ago who talked about, you know, culture is defined by the ability to get shit done, right? Like that's how you can define the culture of an organization. And when you interview, that's kind of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. How did you guys solve for that? Like, how did you guys, I mean, was it, was you know, pre-COVID, look, we, we went out to dinner and had cocktails every Thursday night just so we could form that yeah. trust. I mean, I think there are, there are deliberate things you can do to like stoke the good culture flames. And then there are, are non-deliberate things that you do. The non-deliberate, well, it's deliberate in that you choose the team that you hire. So that was certainly a deliberate one. But I really do think that this behavior is reflective of just like the pure individuals that we've decided to bring on the team. And I think our, our CEO was really um, diligent from the beginning from the creation of Alice to be like, I'm only hiring people that will make this business better. Um, and I'm not necessarily hiring on resume or experience right out of the gate. I'm hiring based on people that I think will move this business forward. And it's been like but a self-fulfilling thing. Like, you know, I'm not letting you get away. These are all great marketing lines. This is where I come in all tactical. How do you, how do you what, what do you identify in someone as someone who can help move it forward? Yeah, I look, I honestly um, sometimes shy away from direct experience and I gravitate more towards like or similar experience. And I do that because it's my own personal journey. I went to school for invertebrate paleontology. I thought I was going what? to study dinosaurs, not dinosaurs, but like inverts my, the rest of my career. So it's like, I am not 
a B2B marketer by trade, but that's okay because I've had like experiences through hospitality and food and beverage. And I know how to create compelling, memorable experiences for my buyers or my clients. And that's what I was brought on to Alice to achieve. And it's been helpful because I don't think in conventional ways. I don't think like other B2B marketers that you might talk to um, at enterprise SaaS companies. And I, it's been able to be used to our advantage because that's the type of brand that we're trying to build. Gosh. So like that's one, what Scott? I was just thinking, sorry to interrupt you. Nina, Nina's dream job, Richard, is like d- director of demand gen at Jurassic Park. This is like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. I like more people to show up, right? <laughs> that's right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Can you, say, that, can you say, uh, what did you study again? Invertebrate what? Paleontology. Oh my goodness. So I thought I would go and work for a gas company and there's always a geologist on staff who understands like the composition of sedimentary rocks to help you find oil more wow. efficiently. So that's what I thought I would do, but I didn't clearly. Um, but the fact of the matter is I wasn't brought on to Alice because of that. I was brought on because I had uh, like, but not the same experience that our CEO was looking for to grow a marketing team. Hmm. What do you think that, is there, a, is there an overlooked part of, of corporate gifting? I think, I think everybody focuses on, well, this is my perspective. I think most people focus on the uh, like the cold prospecting nature of everything. That would be my assumption of where the focus is. Mm-hmm. Is is there a lack of emphasis around how to use it to close? Is there a lack of emphasis on sort of keeping the LTV as high as possible and like mm-hmm. c- continued customer engagement? Where mm-hmm. where are the blind spots? Um, you know, with the work that that you all are doing that that you'd want your prospects to understand and, and sellers to understand as well. Totally. I th- you're spot on. The Our primary use case, our bread and butter um, for both ourselves and our customer base is the cold door opener. It's a way to not just catch people's attention, but to drive action with a cold prospect. And that's great. And it's really effective. But to your point, Scott, like the way I think about gifting inside of business is gifting is a really effective way to either motivate or reward a desired behavior. And that desired behavior is completely relative to you and your sales motion and your goals as a sales leader or an individual contributor. And so if you have a highly functional outbound motion and you don't have problem booking meetings and you don't have a problem getting prospects to show up to those meetings, don't invest in gifting, right? Instead, look at the other opportunities, the other parts of your funnel or in your book of business where gifting can actually help motivate a desired behavior within your prospect or customer base and use gifting as the carrot on the stick to get there. So whether it's trying to accelerate deals, right? You can use gifting as a deal accelerator. Whether you want to drive renewals or cross-sells or upsells, you can use gifting as a way to sell through an existing champion to get yourself introduced to a new new member of a a different vertical or a different buying committee. Uh, Maybe if you're on the marketing side, you want more customer stories, more case studies, you want more ebook downloads, like whatever is relative to your success. I challenge people to think about gifting as the way to, p- to potentially get you there more, more efficiently and more cost-effectively, depending on the audience. Yeah, that's really good advice. I love it. 
We want to um, you know, give one final shout out to our sponsors, Lead411, Vidyard, and Gong. We've really enjoyed talking with you, Nina. We want to kind of give you a chance to ask us a question or, or you know, see if we can be helpful to you. But I have one more question that I, that I want to get to. Mm -hmm. um, you have really shown up and been a part of, uh, you know, virtual sales communities, communities this year in particular. I, I think people know the value of being a part of those communities from the individual perspective. What is the value from a corporate perspective, from a company standpoint, from uh, the demand gen and marketing kind of standpoint, what is the, the value in being a part of some of these micro communities and sales yeah. communities that have shown that have shown up, um, or at least kind of been popularized maybe this year? Yeah. I, so the way that I I think about sponsorship from a demand gen standpoint in three different buckets. The first bucket is for areas of investment as my headphones die. Um, I look for areas of investment where people can either meet Alice, where they can know Alice or where they can feel Alice and feel Alice is really that community activation. I want Alice to be a part of communities like TNS and I don't want to just tell people what Alice is about, but I want people to feel what Alice is about. And hopefully we've been able to achieve that in some regard with our snacks and our ways to use gifting to incentivize desired behaviors, right? We want people to be really participatory in the polls and asking questions. So gifting is a great incentive to do that. And so when I think about where our dollars are best served and where we see the greatest return, it's an in investing in opportunities and investing in communities like TNS where people can really feel our brand and understand the value of our product without us explicitly hitting them over the head with it. That's great, I love that, thank you. And, and uh, don't worry about your headphones dying in the middle of the episode. <clears throat> Given all the things that we've been through on almost 200 podcasts this year, that, that barely even registers on the like, <laughs> oh shit, what do we do now uh, scale. Right? It barely even registers. We've had Perfect. some of these kids fall over and split their head open. We've had Richard's internet go out God knows how many times. I think mine has gone out multiple times. It's it's all part of the part of the show, by the way. How can we how can we be helpful to you? Um, creating opportunities like this, like Surf and Sales podcast, like TNS, um, for us to be able to allow marketers to be a part of it. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm the first to admit. I have miles to go in my understanding of sales, especially in the enterprise. Um, and so carving out opportunities and welcoming marketers, I think will only improve the sales and marketing dynamic for people. So, so that would be my first ask is don't give up on us. We're willing to learn. The second, you had mentioned maybe a potential question I could, I could get your reactions to, but I'd love to hear from both of you what your perceived misconceptions with gifting, corporate gifting are, and that can help inform me on the marketing side to do a better job to address some of those hesitations. What a, that's a really good question. My misconceptions about corporate gifting. I don't know that we know what the misconception is. I think it's what are our conceptions and then you'd have to tell us, no, it's not like that. Um, here, my, my here, here's my biggest misconception maybe is like, 
I just struggle with the scalability of it all, of it all. Like I want to do all the things all the time as fast as possible. And so I, my hang up is around that part. Like, mm -hmm. how can I get the right insights fast enough? So my mis misconception might be the speed of it all. Mm -hmm. I, I, to my own credit, hopefully, um, I mean, I've been doing like my own random ass corporate gifting stuff for God knows how long. And, and not that I'm unique, but, you know, I've been closing deals in this manner for a long time. Um, so I don't have any misconceptions there about the value of any of this from top of funnel, mid funnel, post sale, anything. I think my misconception is more around the scalability of it. And, you know, this conversations like this are super helpful for me to, to learn well, Scott, it's, you know, we're, we've improved these things. The technology is there. Like you can do it at scale. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What about you, Richard? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I think that, um, I think to Scott's point, it's, I think you have to redefine scale, right? Scale means conversion, not quantity, right? And it's not even quality over quantity. It's just conversion. Um, because once you focus on that, that tells you the quality was the right quality. So I think that's a piece mm -hmm. that um, that I think is 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 a part of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think that might be my my misconception. Maybe my misconception is no, you actually can do this, Richard. At you know, if I'm a you know, if I'm an SDR and I'm supposed to have sixty activities a day, you know, no, you could send sixty gifts out and this will work. That is scale. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I would assume you guys have A-B testing on that kind of stuff. Yeah, actually, you bring up a good point in that people, I think one of the misconceptions of investing in gifting is like, I don't have visibility into that. Like, I don't even know if it made it to the person's house, let alone like they liked it, let alone when to time my follow-up around it. And fortunately at Alice, like we can provide that level of insight so you can start to kind of optimize against those conversions and, and drive the outcomes that you want better. But that's definitely a misconception or like a legacy hangover of like people who've gifted in past sales lives who've like done it out of their house or something and are like this is a headache i'm not doing this i see the value but it's not worth it right yeah completely i think i think that's the piece um well thank you so much nina this has been a lot of fun we appreciate it and this one the time flew by like this has been really cool so thank awesome. you so much yeah, thank you both for having a marketer on. Um, it's a great pleasure. Longtime listener, first time dialer to um, the podcast. So thanks for having me. Yeah, well, tell us who else we should have on next time. Like you can tell us now, but tell us offline too. Like here, here are five people I look up to that I think you guys should have on for 2020. And don't and don't say Kyle because we've already had Kyle on the show, and <laughs> you you destroyed him. So <laughs> you know, shout out to Kyle Lacey. Oh, I'm still waiting on my llama swag. So. Um, I won't nominate him until I get it. Yeah. Um, but by the way, Richard, before we depart, um, I have some breaking insights from Alice. Oh. Alice told me that you are a monster Bruce Springsteen fan. That is not Alice. That is Scott Lee. <laughs> I call bullshit. 100%. Oh, I know. We tried. We tried. I know. We tried. Come on, Scott. <laughs> That's such bullshit. So. <laughs> You need you need to work on your AI then if you're relying on Scott Lee. <laughs>
This I is, need to work on my acting, I think. Yeah. <laughs> this, is the inauthentic, this is the inauthentic version. Of this is what not to do. This is don't, what not to do. Don't just assume your prospects love Bruce Springsteen, everybody. Don't do it. <laughs> Which he does, by the way. So, you know, right. I, I need to work with Nina on her salesmanship. She needs to sell that oh, a little yeah. bit. Right. Seller, I am not. Yeah. Yeah. I have deep respect for you all on the line. So I'll leave that to right, you. Funny. That was Dick's good. I like that, Nina. Thank you so Thanks much. Thank you so much, Nina. All right, y'all. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.